Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia. I've been doing so since 2016 and each week we produce two different shows. Our interview series happens on the weekends talking to some of the leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. And midweek we drop our iconic albums series where I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica and we talk about some of the most influential records in our guitar collections. It's always a great hang. And for today's iconic albums, we're checking out a classic from the early 80s. Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, Iconic Albums, number 14. I'm joined by my friends Gabor Jessica. Hello. And Rob Rhodes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening. That's yes. right. <laughs> Rob, you've brought this week's album to us. Over to you. I most certainly have, and it is from 1982, Toto 4. Uh, the fourth album from Toto. Which makes sense because it wouldn't make sense if it was called four and it wasn't the fourth one. But anyway, I digress. Would be cool though. <laughs> It'd be very ironic. Just just to screw with people. Be worthy worthy of an Alanis Morissette lyric. Oh, uh, wouldn't it be ironic? It yeah. Would be. <laughs> um, so recorded between June '81 and April '82 at Sunset Sound and Oceanway Studio, and a few other sessions um, around the traps were also done. Uh, Toto is Steve Lukather, guitar and vocals, David Pache, keyboards and vocals, Bobby Kimball, vocals, Steve Beccaro, keyboards, Jeff Beccaro, drums, and David Hungate um, on bass. This would be David Hungate with his final album with Toto, which would spell the end of their Mark I lineup, so the original lineup. As at 2017, when, you know, basically, Album sales dried up. It had sold over 12 million copies. Yeah. Nice. So at this point in time, Toto were almost done. Uh, according to Luke in his book, uh, um, after the success of their debut album, which spawned Hold the Line, Georgie Porgy, their next two albums kind of failed. Um, didn't, never reached the heights that they were hoping. And I actually really love their third album, Turn Back. Uh, I think some of their best songs are on that album, like rocky, like really great rock, rock songs. And they're their best sh- songs in concert now. So um, they're still playing a lot of songs off that album. Um, but the band definitely felt the pressure being dropped by the record company at this time. But they really needn't have worried. Um, the lead single, Rosanna, peaked at number two. 
and it sat there for five weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, while the album's third single, Africa, topped the Hot 100 chart and became the group's first and only number one hit. Ah, nice. Mm. Toto 4 received six Grammy Awards in 83, including Album of the Year, Producer of the Year, um, Record of the Year for Rosanna. Um, and it reached number four on the Billboard 200 albums charts in the United States shortly after its release. It also really it also reached the top ten in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Netherlands, Italy, Norway, and the United Kingdom and Japan. So um, yeah, at that time they were really sort of worried what was going on. But um, Luke recalls from one moment thinking that he had to go back to doing sessions full time. And he turned around and they had the number one record in America with Africa. Uh, She's a Beauty had been a top 10 hit for the Tubes, which he played on. Turn Your Love Around was a number one in the R&B and adult contemporary charts that he wrote for George Benson. He wrote that? Yeah. And he won a Grammy for best R&B on that song as a writer. And Thriller was the number one album all around the world and he was on well, that. Well, he was so all over that, yeah. 83 was a massive, massive year oh, man. for well, Steve Lukather and Toto in general. Yeah. So um, what do you remember, 82, Matt? You would have only just been out of nappies. Yep, yep. Uh, well, for about eight years out of nappies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't want to make any rash judgments. <laughs> some, some people can move a bit slower than others. <laughs> Actually, I think I've shortchanged myself. 82, I was 11. Um, All right. I'll hopefully well, out of a lot. I'll give uh, you the benefit of the doubt then. Yeah. So, uh, Learning Guitar, um, BMX Bandits, um, Cricket. Oh, BMX Bandits. Okay. My favorite quote from BMX Bandits. <laughs> yeah. Let's put our heads together and come up with dandruff. <laughs> oh. It's back. It's on Netflix. I've got to check it out. Nicole Kidman. Yeah, her first film. Um, yeah, uh, but on the I also had a, a little cassette recorder, um, cassette tape player. So I used to tape stuff off the radio. So uh, I remember taping Africa off the radio. Um, Hold the line was awesome. I didn't know it was the same band, but the the track stood out. You know, first record as you said. Yeah. Um, and Rosanna um, was a huge hit here in Australia. As well, so yeah, so it was funny. I I didn't really like Africa as as a ten or eleven year old. It was probably too clever for me, really. Um, but I've grown to I don't love think it. The guys in the band liked it even originally. So really, <laughs> yeah, well, we're definitely going to get into all that. Get into that, yeah, yeah. I think there's some history. Hey, um, yeah. So that was that was my idea of Toto. Um, I had I had Thriller. I bought it in '83. Um, I, I went halves with my sister. And bought it at Big W, the the vinyl. She recently said, "Do you reckon they'd be worth much money?" Like, you know, I said, "Well, I don't know. There's only like fifty million of them in the world, or something. So <laughs> maybe not." But I didn't know he he played all over that as well. Um, had I read the liner notes, it would have made sense. He mm. did most of most of all it. The There's guitar. a really actually really good interview uh, for a drum magazine, and it is about Jeff Picaro, and it's it's. Um, Lucas are talking about Jeff Picaro. Oh wow! And very interesting. He did like eighty percent of the music you hear on Thriller is just Lucas. Yeah, 
it's it's yeah. I mean, yeah, he played wow. the bass. He did all sorts of things on that the, record. He, when there was no drums, he did the drum programming. He pretty much it was him, wow. um, Quincy Jones, and Michael Jackson. Wow, man. And then I guess most of the Toto guys came in and played when there were real instruments, but. Um, he did just about everything. It's just Lukather. It's amazing. You know, the biggest album ever. And it's just about one guy. Far <laughs> out. Did all the music. And it's not Eddie Van Halen. <clears throat> nah. No, he's responsible for like 60 seconds of it or 45 but seconds. He got, but he got all the glory. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that, that was me. Yeah. Enjoyed the tunes. Didn't really know the band um, back then. How about you, Gabor? What what is this conjure for you? Well, in '82, I was four. Um, the only thing I remember from 1982 was <laughs> it's totally unrelated. <laughs> the football World Cup in Spain, and Spaniel. they had these sticker books, and you, you used to get sticker <laughs> to fill in all the you know with all the soccer players. That's the only thing I remember from '82. Um, I'm a bit of a latecomer to to Toto and the whole Lukather thing. Like I, I didn't realize all this stuff until literally, you know, a few years ago. Uh, I was aware of Toto through playing, you know, in different bands and uh, playing Toto songs in bands. But the, the whole history of it and how they were all session dudes and how many albums they all played on and the whole connection with Michael Jackson and all that stuff. I never knew about that. Um, but I mean, what a band! Yeah, that's that's just the first thing. It's just, it, and you can hear it when you listen to it. They're just all guns. Um, and I mean, and 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 I mentioned this earlier on: video clips with street toughs in it. We need more of that. <laughs> Eighty street toughs, and the guitar bass double neck. I mean, that's just the coolest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> you like street toughs. Street toughs. You know, in, 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 Ros- in Rosanna, there's those guys that, that look really t- tough and mean, like in, like in Bad, yeah, Michael yeah, yeah. Jackson. Clip. Yeah, they, I think they were going for a West Side Story vibe. That was kind of, I think, in that clip. But, you know, like the, the, the 80s yeah. tough guys, yeah. we need more. Street toughs. I'm going to use that term now. Street toughs. The Warriors. Yeah. 80s street toughs. And <laughs> 90s, like in Bad. Yeah. If you watch Bad, all yeah. the guys in it that like look really tough and then yeah. bust out the choreography. Yeah, beat it. Beat it as well. How's that? Beat it has that, you know, yeah, as well. definitely, Absolutely. definitely. Eat it. Oh, yeah, love is a battlefield. I think that's in that clip, too. Yep, yeah. street toughs in the bar. Yeah, street toughs. <laughs> See, street toughs and smoke. You need a smoke machine, yeah. smoke machine, street toughs. Anyway, sorry, go on, Rob. Sorry. Well, so, for me, I got into Toto pretty late as well. Um, I happened across a greatest hits album. Mm-hmm. Um, titled Past to Present, and that was released in 1990. And it had three tracks on it with this young singer that when you read Lukather's book, that really didn't go well. Um, and I think I found that CD in an old Paris video store. Um, oh, wow. Anybody remembers okay. Paris video? There wasn't many no. of them and they didn't last long. Okay. But this is a video Before store that had a CD section. So I've got a lot of CDs in my collection that I got from there. Real weird, rare ones and bootlegs. It's very strange. Um, but so I don't reckon I got that CD until like 93 or 94. And then I really didn't fall really deep into Toto until the live in Amsterdam DVD, which was released in 2003. And then I was all in from there. Okay, yep. I've seen them live, you know, 
uh, maybe twice now. Uh, and yeah, everything I've gone back. I've got vinyls. I've got CDs. I've got live DVDs. Luke's book. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to get into Luke's discography, which oh. is going to take us about seven hours. So, Just that, um, yeah. That's a triple episode, man. <laughs> isn't, yeah. he, isn't he uh, what, the the most recorded guitar player ever, or at least one of the anyway? He'd be one of them. There's a lot of guys that you know kept doing it almost like when he stopped, when Toto became big yeah. and he had a solo. So there's still the Lee Rittenors and Larry Carlton's and Jay Graydon's and all those guys that continued, mm. you know, back of house after Toto went big and he, he kind of pulled back from it. Right. But, yeah, it's just this band seriously maligned in critical circles. They were uh, very much touted as a, studio put together band they were never really given the cred that they deserved um, which was a shame because like you just go through their back catalog now and i don't think there's any other band that can really put their hand up to a back catalog like this like musically Mm. um and stylistically uh there are probably arguments that there are bands out there but like I'll, I'll question without notice for you guys. Do you reckon that there is any band out there that could survive or who has survived so many lineup changes? Well, Spinal Tap with drummers. I was going to say Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's what I get for asking a serious question. Because <laughs> who's, who's original now? So Luke's the... Luke and well, Paige is gone because his his health's been pretty terrible. So you got um, Greg Fillingains oh, okay. um, comes and goes. Yeah, and um, both Pacaras have died now, haven't they? Dave? Well, there's three. So Steve came back for a little while. Um, he's gone, but yeah, Jeff was the first to go, and then Mike Picaro, who was replaced David Hungate on bass. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 on bass for, and he was there for a long, long time. Okay, and then when he got sick, well. Lee Sklar, guys like that came in and filled in. Yeah. Okay. Um, but not only lineup changes, but I I was trying to think of outside of the Beatles and Fleetwood Mac, any other band that shares three lead singers. Like Toto has three lead yeah. singers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, at true. any time, Luke Pache and Bobby Kimball or Joe Williams or in a number of other lead vocalists they've had, they yep. share lead vocals and they chop and change throughout songs and in a similar way that we talked about Stormbringer between mm. Glenn Hughes and Coverdale. It's not just one guy sings one song and the next guy sings. This yeah. is like from verse to chorus to bridge, they're chopping e- and changing. Eagles maybe, but I mean they yeah, don't Eagles. do that within one song. Um, but no. Yeah, there seems to be Don Henley songs and Glenn Fry songs. And, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's a really, it's just very kind of unicorn. Yeah, yeah. In the music world. Yeah, true. Well, I think we've exhausted that topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just take that uncomfortable silence as that's less of a question and more of a comment. Yeah, yeah. it's a good comment. <laughs> Uh, favorite songs on the record, Gabor. Um, I mean, again, you can't go past Rosanna. That's a, such yeah. a cool song. So many parts in it too. Um, 
the harmonies are great. The soul, the, I love the keyboard solo, and then it goes into the uh, Lucas's shreddy solo. It's yeah. just killer. And I mean, uh, I already mentioned the street toughs in a film clip. That's just <laughs> awesome. You got to have, you, you got to have that. Um, and also, the, the, just the little bits in that, but actually throughout the whole album. But um, the little horn runs, but they kind of syncopate it with the drums. Yeah, and um, the little slap bass bit in the chorus that you know, these little slap. It's all these little bits. There's so many of them. It's just it's just awesome. Um, what's another one? Uh, uh, that, uh, I won't hold you back. I like that one mm-hmm. uh, again. Great solo, and uh, I think Lukather for the guitar god status that he's got. Yeah. Quite an underrated singer, in my opinion. Yes. Um, wow. He's got a good voice. Yeah. Um, uh, Afraid of Love. Um, I wrote down so many chords. <laughs> lots of chords in that song. There's a really cool kick drum pattern in that song. Um, but, I mean, again, you have arguably one of the greatest drummers ever in, yeah. in Jeff Beccaro. So, um uh, really cool. That just a kick drum pattern in there towards the end of the song. Um, there's a really cool kick drum pattern. Anyway, uh, "Lovers in the Night." Um, it. I, I, I've listened to this album before, and I've heard this album heaps of times before. Uh, but it was another one I hadn't listened to in yonks, like a long, long time. And the first time I listened to it, it just I th- I kind of got an ABBA vibe in that song. Oh, wow! Like the production of it, and yeah. and like a more rocky kind of ABBA. But yeah. I don't know, for whatever reason, it just, I kind of went, oh, this kind of has a an ABBA-esque vibe to it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think ABBA is great. And the, I mean, the production in yeah. ABBA is in, insane. And topical, rem- and topical at the moment too. You bet. Exactly. Okay. Um, and it's got this really cool, the cool outro solo as well, that, that super shreddy outro solo that he does in that. Um, uh, we made it. Uh, great voice. That's a thing. That's a keyboard player singing, isn't it? I I think so. The same guy sings Africa. Yeah, yeah. that's right. David Page. Yeah, um, I think it is. That's what um, I And again, the uh, in in we made it all these cool little guitar bits that are just sort of all over the place, and they're just these little bits that you almost don't really listen to. You don't really hear them, but then when you kind of pay attention to it, they're and they're sort of panned. One's in one side, one's on the other side, and there's these little bits that always come in, and then you know these little runs. Uh, and the drums play along with the and the horns and you know there's all these cool little bits. Um, uh, Waiting for your love. Did I just say that? Um, the cool groove. It's such a cool. That's like an R and B style song almost. Mm. Great voice. Yeah. Um, um, the changes. It sort of goes really cool as well. And I mean Africa. Uh, you can't really go past that. Um, great '80s film clip as well. No street tough, sadly, but. Um, Libraries, libraries. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Jumanji that clip. Like, it is a little bit for something to happen. And and just got to mention, um, with Africa, you got to listen to the the Weezer version of it. I don't think it's as good. It's of course not as good. And the drums, it's missing that kind of that that um, swing kind of vibe. Yeah. The drums in the Africa in in the in the um, Weezer version, but uh, the film clip. Uh, of Africa, of Weezer's Africa, is them doing almost a Weird Al version of themselves <laughs> of the Sweater Song film clip and wow. Weird Al is singing in it. So he's the singer in the clip. Uh, and there's a really cool live video on YouTube of Weezer doing Africa 
And then when a keyboard solo comes in, uh, they call out um, Weird Al and he comes out and plays it on an accordion. <laughs> Um, and really, really rocks it on an accordion. It's yeah. great. So, but I mean, Africa is such a cool song. It's uh, um, and it's a song I remember from. It's just a song I've I've known for all my life. I've always kind of known it and heard it, and never it never really put two and two together that it's it's Toto and you know Steve Lukather and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a great album. The whole album is very good. Absolutely. How about you? And just killer playing, killer, all of them, killer, killer playing and singing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a main voice, whoever, whatever his name is. yeah. What a voice. We're going to get into some stories about that very shortly. (laughs) Man, I I love it that they've got the guy who just comes and sings the crazy high stuff and then just steps back. I mean, Rosanna, it just goes ridiculously (laughs) high. (laughs) I know. Oh, man. oh well, for me, yeah. I mean, Rosanna. Rosanna could be a podcast all by itself. I reckon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It is the greatest five-bar guitar solo of all time. Oh, it's fantastic. I reckon it's one of the greatest pop guitar solos of all time. But um, yeah, it's kind of cool how it's five bars. Um, I've been working on it just for fun. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so cool. And now I'm trying to learn the outro solo. Crazy hard, but well, that sounds tr- that's a tricky solo. But it's it's fun trying to force my fingers to do this stuff. Man, <laughs> he is such he's such a good string bender. He's such an expressive bender. Um, name drop. I had Andy Timmons on the podcast a couple of years ago. Killer player, and I was oh, talk- he's amazing. I was talking about his bending and whammy bar stuff, but especially his string bending. And I said, oh, "Is that like Jeff Beck?" He said, "Nah, Steve Lukather was the big influence for me in the yeah. way he bends." And um. Yes, just really, really expressive. Um, for a, a quote-unquote studio guy, he, he really had his own voice very early on, it seems. Yeah. Um, or by the time we started hearing Toto Records. Yeah. Um, obviously, he was a veteran by then already. But yeah, Rosanna's awesome. Africa is awesome. I've only ever played Africa on a gig once. It was for a wedding reception. And um, it was a request from the from the, the bridal party. I thought, what's this for? And they just wanted to sing it. They just wanted to go off. It was the <laughs> best. It was the best. Um, the whole band, we were so pumped to play it. So, <laughs> I can't remember who sang it. No, it was band. That's a hard, the, once it goes a chorus, that's so high yeah. again as well, the voice. It's insane. That's, that's Bobby Kimball again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Would yeah. have to be. And then the harmonies yeah. are even higher. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, so, it's ridiculous, yeah. Luke, I think... I think you said good Luther is such a great singer, though. He yeah, like he sings the more rocking stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. If you need that, but the verses of Rosanna, he sounds awesome, man. Singing that stuff, I always um, love Georgie Porgy. That's a, such a cool yeah. song, and he's singing in that is so yeah. good. Yeah. I just love that song, man. That that was a gig staple, Georgie Porgy. Have you guys? Busted I still that play song? it. Yeah, yeah. I still play it. I think I might have played it once. Cool song, mm. man. Waiting for your love. That that kind of seemed like. To be from the same universe as Georgie Porgy, that kind of sophisticated groove. Yeah, really cool groove. That mm. song. It's yeah, the like songs, Georgie Porgy. The song. They are sophisticated songs. The the progressions, the um, the the structure. Um, there's really lots of really interesting parts going on. Um, look, it, it sounds very much like it was a record made in '82. Oh yeah. Several of the songs could be. Um, could be the theme song for any 80s kind of uh, sitcom or romantic comedy or, or a film montage. 
montage. Yeah, yeah. So whenever, you, whenever you hear a saxophone, it's yeah. like instantly. <laughs> Gonna need a montage. <laughs> <laughs> Afraid of Love is a very cool rocker, but it could definitely be a montage for a teenager. How many- chords are in that song there's a lot it's of insane <laughs> there's so many chords in there i was trying to kind of work it out and i was listening to it i was listening to that album and at the guitar and i sort of yeah. noodled around with it <laughs> i lost track of it too many chords in that song anyway sorry i gave up at 12 once i got to 12 different chords i stopped learning it that was it <laughs> hey i won't hold you back if you need a great 80s power ballad this has got everything it's got the piano it's got the string pads it's got real strings it's got clean chorusy guitar. It's got rim shot on the on the snare drum, verse two, perfect, and um, that solo man with the strings yeah. orchestrated around it. Just yeah, that's that's a great tune. I, I sounds like I'm paying out on it, but I that's a fantastic tune. Lukather's tones, man, like that lead tone. That's that's something that kind of, I guess maybe it's an '80s thing. It just sounds like just a fantastic tone I, I still aspire to that kind of thing when i want a really big solo tone it's, it's the lead tones from this record mm. um, it would be a very expensive lead tone i mean the, yeah. the the rig he was going through back in those days holy moly yeah well, the studio the studio rig we'll, we'll get into that but um the the studio rig isn't all that elaborate okay yeah the live rig. I, I remember seeing some Lukather like hot licks kind of videos. Yeah. yeah. Man, that Bradshaw rig he had that was once massive. he hit the mid eighties. Yeah, he was carrying some fridges around. Yeah. yeah. But once once they got to the nineties and they left the, them at home, they still sounded incredible. All these players oh. and they could still pull those tones with a few pedals. And those Bogner amps that he uses now—that's yeah, that's on the wish list. Yeah. yeah. Just with the t- I know we'll talk about gear, but I mean Lukather gets a bad rap sometimes for having like being the overly processed guitar tone guy um but i think he has said himself you know everyone was doing it in the 80s mm-hmm. and if you listen to the tones on this record especially the distorted tones i don't know man to me they just sound organic and fat they yeah just sound yeah. awesome and i still Absolutely. i still like chorus anyway i never stopped using chorus so maybe <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't understand the hoo-ha. No. <laughs> anyway, that, that were kind of my standouts. But I really enjoyed all the, the 80s kind of teasing I'm doing too. Um, I, I, I loved it. It, 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 it's of it. Some of the songs do sound of their time. Um, yeah. But I enjoyed that. Sort of like the ABBA comment from Gabor. <laughs> like in a good way. It is. Next time you hit it, listen to the song, um, um, Lovers in a Night, just, just think ABBA and you'll know what I mean. I love ABBA. If Dan- oh, Abba's great. If- we should do an Abba iconic album. Okay. If we do, if a dancing queen gets called on a gig, I am all over it, man. I used to love playing Waterloo. It's yep. just really great, you <clears throat> yes. know, groove and chord changes. And because I would do it in a trio, you had to I had to fill all that instrumentation. Do all the hooks. Yeah. So yeah, I came up with a like capo on the second fret because it was in the original key, and you just play all the little counter melodies off the open strings and. Yeah, it's, you have to get inventive when you're in a trio. Yeah, nice. No tracks. Yeah. Crazy. So for me, as a guitar player, I can't go past Rosanna yeah. and Afraid of Love. Mm. Um, and honourable mention goes out to the solo in Lovers in the Night. Uh, like, Oh, yeah. Honestly, yeah. that is that's just... That's ready outro solo, yeah. That's outro, yeah. Amazing. I'm also, as you're probably all becoming aware, I'm a sucker for just a really good pop hook. Uh-huh. And 
So the Motown vibe and the hooks of make believe and those harmonies just drag me in straight away. I want to, you know, kick my shoes off and dance around the backyard. Oh yeah, when I'm cranking yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Um, and good for you is very similar that way. Those the the hooks you just want to start singing them. Uh, I love the pocket groove of we made it. And then again, that chorus when it's got the Motown groove and then it goes to that double time feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, yeah. And the tambourine, that's a standout for me in that song. Yeah, this song oh, you, wouldn't be the song without the tambourine. It's, but you've got to have that, in a mot- that Motown groove. Oh, you've got to have the tambourine. That makes it. It's just pure gold. I like. Uh, I wonder where that tambourine is now because it sounds really good. And it's <laughs> hard to get good sounding tambourines for anyone out there. It's probably at the um, Hard Rock Cafe or something. <laughs> On the wall. <laughs> Lenny Castro has probably still got it somewhere. Um, shout out to Lenny Castro who does all the percussion on this album. Nice. Um, he's a monster who has uh, credits list as long as Lukather's, I think. Um, played on so many yeah, wow. so many records. Um, yeah, so for me it's another one of those records that I don't ever skip a track. Uh he, from start to finish, and you guys say it's dated. It's really interesting that when I listen to it on Spotify, you get got to get to a certain volume where the speakers are moving. Uh-huh. But when I put it on vinyl, which I have the – I showed you guys before we yeah, started, yeah. I have an 83. Show us on the podcast. 82. Here you go, uh-huh. folks. Use your imagination. <laughs> Special <laughs> glasses. Um, yeah, on the, on the record player, it sounds so much like more alive. And I know I'm going to probably – get shot down as one of these guys who says vinyl and analog's better. But there oh, is just oh. there is just absolutely is. There's something about it. I don't know whether it's the connection, whether it's the you know, there's no limit to what can be put on a vinyl record. Uh it's not compressed into twenty and twenty thousand. So mm-hmm. there's that harmonic content and the relationship between the needle and all of that stuff and the tone arm. Look, I'm not gonna go down that that rabbit hole. But totally agree. Totally it, agree. It just sounds, it's just different. It's different than what I hear on Spotify. And I have lossless audio on Spotify, the high quality. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, I've got some good good setup here, but going inside with the with the hi-fi and on vinyl, it's, it's something pulls you into it. And I can't do housework without vinyl playing. <laughs> it's just something. It takes me back to my childhood, I guess. Yeah. Um, You'll be careful, that's all. You can't jump around with a vinyl. No, you can't. Uh, especially my Technics one, it's so on the, yeah. you know, so on the limit of where it's, you know, where the arm's set up. It's great. A um, couple of little things before we take our first break, I guess. Um, actually, should we just take the break now? Sure. Come back and we'll talk gear and uh, fun facts. With Rob. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cock. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. Welcome back to Guitar Speak Podcast Iconic Albums number 14. 
Rob has brought along his vinyl copy of Toto 4, and we're talking all about it. Back to you, Rob. We are. Well, I wanted to get into the gear, and we have touched on the gear a little bit. Um, but uh, first and foremost, probably the most expensive guitar that he owns, and it was all over everything. It's over Rosanna. It's 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 on the solos, and that's his 59 Les Paul standard. Oh, man. Serial number 90494. So anyone from Chibson who wants to make um, <laughs> <laughs> wants to make a clone, that's the serial number. But and nah, he, ne- he never put a Kalo tram into it. No, he left that one as. <laughs> um, so that was his primary guitar throughout the whole heyday of Toto. Really? Um, wow. It's over all of, most of the sessions, including the main riff of Michael Jackson's Beat It. Mm. and Lionel Richie's running with the night solo. It's Fantastic. all that 59 um, burst. Uh, wow. Physical, Rob? Did he use it on physical? The Olivia Newton-John uh, That's I, I didn't look that up. As much as I love that song and I love that solo, no, I yeah. didn't look up what, when that one was. But it's got a it's got a trem on that solo from memory, so it's most likely not the 59. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, there's a few dive bombs. So um, he also had a 58 gold top. Wow. Um, and most of Toto, the early albums, he changed a little bit around this time, but most of them were his Les Paul straight into a blackface deluxe reverb that was modified by Paul Rivera. Okay. So there's a few little things that happen. Uh, Paul Rivera actually made his first, Luke's first pedal board as well. Um, oh, cool. With all the analog um, old rolling choruses and stuff. Uh Luke had some really amazing stuff and it all got stolen. He had four original tube screamers um, wow. that Ibanez gave him uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff that just ended up going missing from a warehouse a storage. Because did he in those days already have that Ibanez signature guitar, that well, Roadster type guitar? A, Was it- it's a funny story because, uh, yeah, he didn't really get on. They sent him one. He's got a... Uh, he's got the prototype of the only one they ever made, and then they okay. put his name on. Well, it was an unofficial signature model. So oh, okay, okay. Um, I think it was the RS. Oh come on, someone will correct me. RS fifteen hundred. Because if you watch the "Waiting for Your Love" clip, he's got the green. He plays one. that in that. Oh um, really? I think. He plays that in the clip. Okay. Yeah. Um, late seventies Marshalls, all standard. But he did say that Rivera might have done a mid-range mod on those late 70s oh, yeah. Marshalls. Okay. Um, and he also had a 71 Gibson Les Paul Deluxe. Uh, now, around this time, he got given some Valley Arts Strat copies. And this was his introduction to EMGs. Ah, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, he had, a, he had a few of those. And... Other things that made it onto this album were uh, 51 Fender Esquire, which he paid $600 for. Right. Wow. 600 bucks. Yeah. There's a few more zeros in that now. <laughs> yeah. And he's still got it. Apparently still got that one. Um, there was a 63 Strat on those early records, but he said he never really took the Strats. Okay. Um, and that's why when Valley Arts came around, uh, he had a 79 Valley Arts, which was he nicknamed Robot, uh, and an 83 Valley Arts Custom Pro. 
Um, for effects, again, like not much happened in the studio, but PCM 70s, the Lexicon. Oh, yeah, mm. reverb. And, yeah, and the Roland SRV 2000. Okay. Um, so that's where he got all his echoes and stuff from. Uh, and that that's pretty much it. There's not much. He didn't he didn't do a lot. Um, I wonder if he's um with those modelled amps. I wonder if he's like boosting them as well with something for those solos. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, there didn't seem to be a lot of that going around. And yeah. from what I could find out, he wasn't using drive pedals. It was mostly just cranked amps. Yeah, right. Um, that Fender Blackface. He said when he started doing sessions, what he learned from Lee Rittenor and Jay Graydon was the little Dan Armstrong orange, what, what's that one called? The orange crusher? Oh, the thing, it, the thing the that goes straight box. into the guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, He's using okay. one of those. Right. Um, What's essentially and, a boost of some Yeah, or Orange or ringer or something like it's that? It's like a treble boost. Okay. Yeah, so but they put him onto that, but that was really early on. Um, he wasn't doing much of that, and so orange squeezer, orange squeezer. That's right. And this is with his fifty nine Les Paul. They were they were just jamming Rosanna in the studio, uh-huh. and that whole out solo and jam is live. Right, of course that, it is, <laughs> and it's one take. It's the first take. They never wow. rehearsed it. And they didn't speak about it beforehand. They just finished recording the song and went into that thing freeform. And what's on the record oh, is man. what it is, you know. And he's had a couple of moments like that in his book. He talks about the hold the line solo, yeah, um, where the the studio, all of those cats were in there. I think from just off the top of my head, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but there was Lee Rittenow, Lee Rittenow. Jay Graydon, maybe even Larry Carlton were all in the control room wow. when they hit record. Yeah. And he just blazed and they went, well, you got it. You know, no Far pressure. Out. And Far he nailed out, it the first take. Crazy, man. Like the, the amount of – we could do a, a series of 14 episodes on Lukather. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Crazy. Did you guys pick up anything else as far as the gear went? No. I didn't. I was really interested in what he used on this record because I knew about the Valley Arts thing. I wasn't sure where that came into this record's history. I knew he had the Les Paul. I knew about the signature Ibanez, but I didn't know when that was. Yeah, so, same here. I wasn't sure. That's really interesting. So like on um, Lovers in the Night, that's got some whammy bar. Was that maybe the Ibanez or the Valley Arts? No, perhaps? that's the Valley Arts. Okay. Yeah. He was. I'm um, not sure if the Ibanez had a trim. Um, I think oh, okay. it was a fixed. I'm not 100% sure. They but. came along in like, I had an RS1300, which was an 84 model. <coughs> and that okay. was the, that was kind of like the standard, well, no, there was a standard Roadstar and then this one had the um, bird's eye maple cap and it was yeah. a curved top. And then the yeah. Lukather model, which they call the Lukather model, but I don't know, again, when I was reading about it, Luke just said they sent him a prototype it was a Rickenbacker style. There's a picture of it on um, Lukather's site. You can He's got a gear page and okay. it's got all of his gu- guitars and amp rigs throughout the years. Oh, cool. And That's it's awesome. got that original prototype and he hated it. He said it was very Rickenbacker-esque right. and he didn't like it. it sounded like okay. crap. And then they put one out that sounded even worse. Um, 
but he he didn't really stay with Ibanez very long, and that's mm. when he, you know, the Valley Arts thing. He just he gravitated towards those, and yeah, it got sent with the EMGs, and he was sort of sold from there. He was like the poster boy for that. Valley Arts has a really interesting history. I mean, essentially they were parts guitars, yeah, um, very high quality parts, but um, mm. yeah, and I th- I think I think the most recent iteration they were owned by Samic for a while. You yeah, could buy a Samic Valley Arts in the nineties. You see them going on Gumtree and stuff, like yeah. people asking big money for them and saying, well, it's a Valley Arts, sort of. Um, I think Gibson bought them, actually, but hasn't done okay. anything with it. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, apart from, apart from Lukather, I remember that Jack Jones used them in the Southern Suns yeah. days and during the Full House tour with John Farnham. Um, he had the Valley Arts with the camera mounted to the headstock <laughs> for that Oh, that is one of the greatest live concerts at the time. Yeah. Farnham was on fire and that oh, band yeah. was super hot. Yeah. Like, so good. Yeah, Phil and Buckle Irwin, on guitars too. Yeah. And Erwin Thomas was just he, – he was definitely in that that scene, that Vi thing. He had so much whammy bar going on, that yeah. Valley Arts. Just absolutely perfect. Well, he loves um, Mike Landau as well who, who – He played Valley Arts. And was, you know, a, a real contemporary of Lukather and Dan Huff, the, the kind of studio cats of that era. Well, him um, and Landau went to school together. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So they've wow. been friends for forever. Yeah, cool. Check out um, Luke's book. I did the audio book because it's a great way to pass time in traffic. Because does he uh, narrate it himself? Does yeah, he it and, himself? It's, and it's amazing because like with all these books, when you get the audio books, mm-hmm. they remember stuff. So they do like oh, okay. um, at the end of the chapter, then he'll just add a little bit that's not in the book. He yeah, goes, right. oh, uh-huh. since, since writing the book, I remember this little story that oh, I wanted to add cool. for the audio book and it's, it's really great. Nice. Um, all right, fun fact time. With <laughs> Rob. <laughs> all right, the band delayed touring um, on the back of this album to uh, instead help with the production of Thriller. So with Luke... Um, and Jeff Picaro in there, they were working on Thriller. So they didn't immediately go tour on the back of the record. Uh, and they were also working on Chicago's comeback album, Chicago 16, that same year. Wow. So that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. One thing from the book that Luke talks about, and I can't even fathom how they did this, but technology for the kids out there, they used to record to tape. Um <laughs> And I know there's a few kids out there that are really into tape, so um, you'll you'll really enjoy this one. Um, the Africa vocal, Bobby Kimball's chorus vocal, the super high one, yeah. one take. They could only get one good take out of him. Uh-huh. So they recorded the vocal onto a second tape machine on a loop and then ran that tape machine into the second tape machine and every time the chorus came up, they had to sit there and try and guess where it was on the oh, loop, huh. line the loop no up way. and press play so wow. that the main vocal went onto the chorus, you know, and hope that it all stayed in time and in sync across the tapes, you know, because every time they press it, tape would get warm and stretch, you know, all these Fish. sorts of things. So they had to do that every time. And they reckon they did it, I think from memory on the book, he said they, they managed to nail it first go. But they were so no. frustrated and this happens so often with Bobby Kimball in the studio right. um, because 
Pace was so particular about what keys songs would be in um, when he wrote them and he wrote them never thinking about the vocal. So it was like you had to sing, you had to bring your A game to sing a lot of these songs, which was the beginning of the end for Kimball because he just couldn't do it live, especially once he started to get into the drugs uh, further on down the track. Um, what else? Eagles bass player Timothy B. Schmidt sang backing vocals uh, on the chorus of, and I why didn't I write this down? <laughs> um, I think it's on. I think it's on Africa. He wrote the. I've got the vinyl. I could pull it out and will tell me. But yeah, he sang backing vocals on the record. Man, he's a high singer. I know that that song that he sings. Uh, the ballad for the Eagles. What song's that? Um, I can't tell you why. Yeah. He, that's so high and pure and clean. Yeah, yeah far out. Um, I mentioned it before, but Mike Beccaro didn't join Toto until after this album. Um, but he contributed cello on Good For You. Ah. Oh, Played nice. a bit of cello on that. Uh, the song Rosanna got its name from the actress Rosanna Arquette who was okay. dating Steve Picaro at the time. Uh, which, it's a funny story because Picaro didn't write the song. It was written by Paish. Um, he was just looking for good lyric ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, from Song Facts, he explained that Rosanna was about a high school love, uh, one of his first loves, but it just tagged another Rosanna's name. He tagged Rosanna's name on there because she was going out with Steve at the time and it just worked phonetically. Mm-hmm. In the song, yeah. he liked the way it sounded. Um, Toto 4, they were recording it in Studio 2 at Sunset. At the same time, Van Halen were in Studio 1 recording Diver Down. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. So imagine that. Can you imagine the studio like logs from that time? Far out. And Luther and Van Halen, they became good friends. Yeah, very, yeah, very yeah, tight, well. those two. Mm. Um, so... David Pace, obviously keyboards and vocals for Toto, he won his first Grammy Award as co-writer of Boz Skaggs' song Lowdown. And everyone will know Lowdown. It's like one of the coolest, smoothest songs of all time. Have Um, you guys played that? that, That's a cover band. No, but it was always in my break music. Oh, nice. Also good. (laughs) Yeah. Weren't a lot of the guys in Toto part of the live live? Boss Gags touring band? Yeah, they went in and out and Steely Dan as well. Steely, yeah. No. Yeah. Far Crazy. Um, and Luke won his first, we, I mentioned it earlier, but Luke won his first Grammy for writing George Benson's Turn Your Love Around. Yeah. So. Wow. Crazy. Um, yeah, we, we did touch on it earlier with uh, Olivia and MJ, but on Luke's website, there's 18 pages. Huh. Of credits. But some of my favorite moments, and you guys might have some favorite Luke moments too outside of Toto, was we mentioned Olivia Newton-John's physical. The solo yeah. in that is unbelievable. Yes. But, but Both it's of be- them. Yeah. But it's bettered by Boz Skaggs' Breakdown Dead Ahead, which is one of my favorite Luke solos. And Lionel Richie's Running With The Night yeah. Yeah. is, oh, come on. But he's played Michael Jackson. He's played with three, played and recorded with three Beatles, Paul, George, and Ringo. Wow. He still plays in Ringo's All-Star Band, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, He wrote 
and recorded with Elton John, Aretha Franklin, Barbara Streisand, Cher, Earth, Wind and Fire, Stevie Nicks, Warren Zevon, and he's all over and co-wrote a lot of Don Henley's first solo record. Um, the list just goes on and on. How about you guys? You got any stellar Luke moments outside of Toto? Nothing you haven't mentioned yet, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the big... Yeah, I, I mean, I always think of physical. I, I always love that guitar solo, Running With The Night. There's, um, there's a killer solo on a not cool Lionel Richie song that... <laughs> that, I, that I play a lot. What is that? Dancing on the Ceiling. Oh, yeah. Um, great solo. Really cool solo. That's I a like cool song, man. It Come is on. A cool song, Sorry, yeah. guys. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun to play. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great, man. Who, um, who played guitar on those Don Henley records? Well, Luke was on the first, um, what's it called? Dirty Laundry. That was okay. the first album. Yep. So Luke's on that. Luke, Luke, Steps into a lot of Don Henley stuff, but I'm not sure. Um, obviously, Mike Campbell wrote and played on Boys oh, of Mike Summer. Campbell. That's something. Yeah, of. friend of the uh, show. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky we don't have a horn. Yeah. Like that pedal. <laughs> yeah. We got to come up with our own thing. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe the pick scratch. Yeah. Um, but I think that sort of. That's every like again like the U two album we could talk forever yeah. Yeah. about. Um, there was one little funny story where Luke and uh, Bobby Kimball thought that Africa was the worst song on the album, yeah. and that it, it it didn't fit. The lyrics made no sense, and Luke's been quoted many times as saying, "At the time, he said, if this is a hit, I'll run naked down Hollywood Boulevard,' <laughs> but no one ever." No one ever asked him to pay yeah. up on that, thankfully. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, whenever I hear the, the 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 word Kilimanjaro in that song, I think I don't I don't know if I know any other songs with, with Kilimanjaro mentioned Kilimanjaro. in a pop tune. That's just because no other songs really reach those heights. <laughs> <laughs> boom boom. Yeah, sorry, dad joke. Well played. Well played. Someone will write in and say someone's quoted Everest and will want to one up me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> there was a there was a there was a Japanese funk band I once saw at the Woodford Folk Festival, which is like a big festival that usually when there's no COVID on is on uh, around Christmas New Year's. And their album no, they were called um Mocha Mountain Kilimanjaro. Wow. And one of the songs or Mountain Mocha Kilimanjaro, I, I, whichever way. And one of the songs was a song where they sang that. So there, there is another song okay. where there is Kilimanjaro oh, in the good. song. Thank goodness. That's good. Yes. <laughs> they were great, actually. Great, <laughs> wacky Japanese funk band. Wow. Anyway. Have you guys yeah. seen that video? It's maybe only a year old or so. Um, Lukather's neighbour gets the, um, the leaf blower out early in the morning. So he fires up his rig and gets his wireless. And he's in, the, and he's in his pyjamas. <laughs> and he's just blasting. So good. Like he was he was good value over COVID because he did so many like YouTube live podcasts and interview uh -huh. shows and came out with the crazy hair and yeah. he just embraced the whole thing. It was really good no. to see, I think. That's been one thing I think that's been amazing out of COVID is how much closer you've managed to get to the artists that you're into. Hmm. Yeah. Like not everyone did it, but a lot of people went out and talked more and realized that people are stuck at home 
and you could really re-engage again with fans, old and new, on all of these platforms. Yeah. And just get, whether you get your streams up and you get a little bit of movement that way or you get some kids out there to buy vinyl and yeah. um, just try and put a bit more money in your pocket that you weren't getting from live touring. So I think that's that's been wonderful. I actually bought tickets and sat into a live stream on the weekend, uh, Grace Potter, uh, oh, yeah. which oh, is yeah, wow. straight from her shed. And that was her nice. Bonnaroo set because Bonnaroo got cancelled again. Okay. Yeah. And it was killer. And again, that, that medium, if you're at a festival and I've seen Grace a couple of times at Blues Fest, you don't get that personal interaction where she was talking to the camera and being yeah. silly. You yeah. don't get that, you know, and I think yeah. that's been an amazing thing for some artists that I think when everything comes back, I think it's going to pay off for a lot of these a lot yeah. of these acts yeah. just staying connected and relevant. Yeah, it's cool. That's really cool. Awesome. Well, Rob, great album. Thanks for bringing it along, man. Fantastic. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Rob, where can um, where can people find out more about your stuff? Um, yeah, my main gig is uh, living in the 70s, um, but I've just kicked off a new, well, it's not a new channel, but I do have my channel name and I'm doing my live streams from there now. So uh, Rob Rhodes Music on uh, YouTube. Awesome. Very cool. And Gabor? Uh, well, uh, if you want to see two guys that can't play anywhere nearly as good as uh, Lukather, um <laughs> review uh, pedals. I do want to see that, <laughs> and- now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, no, not yeah. He's 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 a different level. Uh, but yeah, we review uh, guitar pedals and guitars and amps, and uh, yes, we're just generally having a super fun, awesome, happy time kind of pedal show kind of time. So we're called the Super Fun Awesome Happy Time Pedal Show. No gaps, all one word. Uh, and yeah, you can find us on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and all that sort, of, all the good places. Fantastic. Well, thanks, fellas. Another great, iconic albums, and I'll catch you next week. See you then. Bye. All right, thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor, and it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, the Scorpions and MSG. Keep rocking. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now. <laughs>